The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ohio State is vanquished again. And this time, no excuses. The better team won. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Here's Clark. Hey, 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 you can't be a Brady gets terrific. Before Brazil got him, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle, caught by Kohler at the five on his feet, touchdown Michigan. On his way, it's good. He's five seven, 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schembechler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming, second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Go Blue. I'm Go Blue. Sorry. <laughs> Go Blue and welcome to this victorious episode. Been a lot of those recently of Michigan Podcast. I am Steve Dace. And this time, there are no excuses. The better team won. Michigan does it. Three in a row over the Ohio State University. The first time Michigan has done that since the 1997 National Championship team. J.J. McCarthy is the first Michigan quarterback to play in three Ohio State victories in his career since Brian Greasy. And before that, you got to go back to Rick Leach. The Big Ten winning streak. Back-to-back 12-0 regular seasons. Michigan had never even had a 12-0 regular season in school history until last year. And now they've done it back-to-back for the first time ever. Rarified air for this Michigan football program. And you can see why so many efforts were done to try to derail the team off the field 
because it's damn hard to beat them on the field. And Ohio State learned that. I thought Ohio State played a very good football game. This was not the last two years. Nothing happened on a meta level here, like Michigan took Ohio State's manhood the last two years. This looked a lot like the Michigan-Ohio State games I remember growing up, albeit with more points. This Both teams were physical. Remember the drive that Ohio State had? What was it? Seven, eight, nine straight runs to score the touchdown there. Yardage was pretty similar. But in the end, two trends held up. Michigan had the most rushing yards. The team that has done that has won the last 22 consecutive iterations of the game. And then the turnover battle. We told you last week the big stat to watch. Kyle McCord had the biggest difference of any quarterback in all of college football in terms of his quarterback rating from a clean pocket and then his quarterback rating when he's under pressure. From a clean pocket, top five in the country. Under pressure, 110th in the country. And that played itself out. Michigan didn't get as much pressure as I was hoping for throughout much of this game. The Ohio State offensive line, given the caliber of competition, played well. But it got pressure when it needed to at the end. The stunt with Mason Graham and Jalen Harrell got home and forced Kyle McCord to deliver the ball before he wanted to. And it was scooped up just before it hit the turf by Ohio native and not Buckeye. Scholarship offered, Rod Moore, scooped it up just before it hit the turf for a clean interception to wrap up a third straight victory in the game. My final margin, six points, exactly what the power ratings said the game should have been. Why was it three, three and a half? Well, I think people were trying to, like I was, figure out what's the value of Jim Harbaugh? What's the value of a team that doesn't have a coach? Well, in this case, Sharon Moore did an incredible job. Offensive line coach, offensive coordinator, and head coach outcoached Ryan Day in this game. He coached like he, he was the underdog when he was the favorite. He was aggressive throughout. They had new wrinkles, ingenuity. And in the end, Michigan pulled it out with all that adversity, losing its best offensive lineman, Zach Center, to a gruesome injury. The chance from the, from the fans in the stands. And then on the very next play, Blake Corum cuts it back off of Zach Center's best friend on the team, Trevor Keegan, his roommate and explodes through a gaping hole and scores what went on to be the winning touchdown in this game. And on his 23rd birthday, and then he flashes the 6-5, folks. That's the stuff of movies, man. And and this season is going to make a hell of a movie one day, all right? Might be a, it might be a 30 for 30. It might be an E60. It might be a documentary. It might be a feature film. But with everything that's gone on with this season on and off the field, all of the drama, the level of focus and resiliency shown by this Michigan football team, has even former Michigan players coming out of the woodwork. Doug Skeen, Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, guys who have won a lot of championships here in Ann Arbor, and they are like, these dudes, they're the toughest Michigan team I've ever seen. The importance of this win from a long-term stability standpoint, there would have been a lot of questions had Michigan lost, but now Michigan knows who its coach is. It's either Jim Harbaugh or Sharon Moore moving forward. And either way, you now get to keep the bulk of that championship infrastructure in place. You don't risk another Brady Hoke, Rich Rod scenario. You don't risk becoming Nebraska, which is now going on seven years in a row of not even making a bowl game. 33 consecutive one-score or 33 one-score losses the last seven consecutive seasons for the Huskers. And they just have lost their entire identity, their entire brand. The winning culture, gone in Lincoln. That can happen. 
If it can happen in Lincoln, you damn right it can happen in Ann Arbor. And it nearly did in the Rich Rod Hoke era. So you don't have to risk any of that now. Your future is certain now. And it is certain that you've got a chance to play for a third straight undisputed Big Ten championship. It's amazing what has gone on here. It's amazing the improvement that's been made here. And I think a key point, it's not like Ohio State's fallen off. I mean, this isn't, this isn't Jim Tressel beating Rich Rod. This, this isn't Urban Meyer beating Brady Hoke. I mean, Ohio State is still a top five program in this sport. Michigan just rose to the occasion. And I think in the end, you have to give an incredible amount of credit to Jim Harbaugh for this. You know, I, I work in an industry every day where humility lacks, self-awareness is dead, accountability is unachievable. Um, if not, you purposefully attempt to elude it. And really, culture-wide, on multiple institutional levels right now here in, in our country, leadership is lacking. Lacking in our homes, churches, schools, government. It's lacking in a lot of places. Jim Harbaugh could have responded to the fact he should have been fired after 2020. And if, his, and if he wasn't the most decorated quarterback in school history, he would have been. Anybody else, anybody else that had that season and then the previous two hide-your-face embarrassment losses to Ohio State would have been canned and it would have been deserved. He could have responded to that a lot of different ways. But he responded to it in ways we don't typically see. He looked in the mirror. He did a full assessment of the program, its strengths, its weaknesses, his own shortcomings. And he radically changed things. From the amount of autonomy to assistant coaches, to availability to players, to the, the accountability now no longer comes from the coaches, but from the players themselves dramatically reinvented the Michigan football program. And at a time when there was a lot of argument whether he deserved to still be the head of that program. And over the last three years, the results speak for themselves. This is one of the greatest periods in the history of Michigan football. This is, this is fielding Yost kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that Bo never really got a shot to do uh, when he was at when when he and Ohio State were at their peak in the early seventies, only one Big Ten team went to bowl games. We didn't have a conference championship game. This is this is this is one of the greatest runs in the history of one of the greatest programs in college football history, and it all happened because Jim took the humble pie. He didn't get bitter, as he likes to say. He got better, and the program did the same. And there's a lot that could be learned. The fact that the, the infrastructure here now is so sound, it is so secure, roles are so defined, that even when he's not on the sidelines, in front of 20 million people watching on TV and 110,000 in the stands, Michigan had one penalty. One. No turnovers. It's the least penalized team in college football, for goodness sakes. And the coach was gone for half the year. Who does that? It takes a very unique infrastructure and culture. And it takes incredible leadership to put something like that into place. And we just don't see that kind of leadership in many places in our culture these days.
But one place that we have seen it is with the Michigan football program. Jimmy turned this in to what it was in its best eras, a player-led program. And you see now the players respond. They hold each other accountable. They support one another. You can see that they truly love one another. And to overcome, and some of you that are fans of other teams are going to say, it's not adversity when you created it and brought it upon yourself. One man's adversary, adversity is another man's controversy. Nevertheless, we can all agree there's been no team in the country that's had more distractions to deal with, self-inflicted or otherwise, than Michigan has for the last six weeks. And still, to overcome all of that and to keep winning at the level that Michigan is winning at and to be on the brink, perhaps, of a third straight Big Ten championship is just truly remarkable historical stuff that we're going to remember the rest of our lives. We may never see another run like this. We're never going to see another game, the game like this. With the new era now of an expanded college football playoff, um, no divisions in the Big Ten. The, this is the last time that we're ever going to truly see both teams are simultaneously great and one team will stay home and the other team will march on. One team will ruin the other season and the other season will be made. That won't happen again in the future. Because whenever we have years like we've had the last few, when both teams have been great at the same time, they're both going to the college football playoff. They might just play next week in the Big Ten championship game. The, the last opportunity when both teams are great, that one can just wreck the season of the other, which is what has made the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry so special and set apart from all the others. This was the last time that we will see that. And Michigan has those bragging rights for all time because of the all-time run that this program is on. And here's the thing. I still think things can get better. Blake Corum can run better. J.J. McCarthy can play better. We still haven't even reached our ceiling yet. And let's hope that this is the time that we do. There is a window here. A lot of us thought last year was Michigan's best chance to win a national championship, and we may never see a window like that again. I think the window is even more open now this year, provided that ceiling, particularly where the quarterback is concerned, is reached. But for now, revel in this. Enjoy this. This was a monumental win. Monumental not just for this season, but for many future seasons to come. Go Blue. Steve Dace here, and we get asked a lot, hey, how can we support what you guys are doing at Michigan Podcast? Well, now is a great time to become one of our supporters on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast is where you can go. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. And if you go there, we're going to make you a little jingle. Uh, in fact, you would have gotten these a few months ago, before the, long before the season even started. All of my 2023 football futures bets I've made thus far. I can't recommend a selection any more than I bet this myself. And last year, if you followed my football futures bets and you bet alongside of me, you made a pretty nice ROI chunk of change by the time the season ended. So keep up to date on all things we think and do uh, here at Michigan Podcast patreon.com at Michigan podcast, but more importantly, just five bucks a month. And chances are, you're going to make a lot more money than that following our sports betting selections, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Again, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And thanks to all of you that have been supporting us already. We appreciate each and every one of you go blue. (laughs) 
Well, let's get the view from the other side of the rivalry here where it is a melancholy period if you are an Ohio State fan. And we know, as Michigan fans, what it's like. We experienced it for pretty much 20 years. So let's bring in Mark Rogers, who has an outstanding channel here on YouTube, the voice of college football you should be watching all year round. But now he puts on his hat, not as passion in, passionate but impartial observer of the entire college football landscape, but now Bucknut, and he'll try to remain reasonable in light of another loss. But Mark, it's, it's good to have you back. In short, I thought both teams played very well. It reminded me a lot of the games I remember growing up. Uh, just a little more, little more high scoring, but pretty much, one team was someone was going to make a mistake, someone was going to make a magical play, and and if you go back to a lot of what we discussed last week, I kept bringing up this one data point: no quarterback had a wider chasm in QBR from clean pocket to uh, under pressure than Kyle McCord, and I mean these teams were pretty even all afternoon. And yet, in the end, Michigan didn't get a lot of pressure on him throughout the game, but they did the last drive, and that QBR stat played itself out, and he threw a bad interception under pressure, and that was the game. I, I don't think this was, I don't think Michigan took Ohio State's manhood like the last couple of years. I thought Ohio State played very tough, very physical. I thought Ryan Day stuck with the running game longer this year, did not panic. Um, if, if I think really the only game management decision of his I don't understand is the way he played before the end of the half with still plenty of time and another timeout. Let me just throw the ball down the field to Marvin Harrison once, see if I get a flag, if I get an All-American play. I'd be questioning that in a game of very small margins if I were an Ohio State fan. But the rest of the way, I thought Ohio State played very well. They clearly learned their defensive lessons from a year ago. They made Michigan matriculate the ball up and down the field. They matched Michigan physically. The stats were pretty even. It's just, in the end, you know, Michigan got pressure when it needed to and created a turnover to win when it needed to, and and that was the difference in the game. I don't really think it's any more uh, introspective or metaphysical than that this time. It's the kind of football game that I usually enjoy if you take the, the colors off the two teams, just enjoying an elite matchup of two teams because I don't like the 45-42 games because those are typically – defensive deprived games it's not that the offenses are just that good it's blown coverages a lack of interest in tackling no this is football at its finest at this level at its finest uh, because when the offenses made plays they legitimately had to make plays receivers had to make plays quarterbacks jj mccarthy in particular what impressed me making throws under duress of course, the second touchdown of the game for Michigan, the throw that he made, not only from the perspective of the tight window downfield that was remarkable, but once you got the look of the shot behind center to see him change his arm angle at the last second to, to navigate the hands and the traffic in his face to make that kind of throw, that was pretty ridiculous. Uh, Kyle McCord, I didn't have a huge issue in the, in, in the way that he managed the game, played the game, threw the football, made decisions downfield from second quarter on. Uh, the first uh, big mistake of the game, of course, I will say before I go into McCord's uh, part in that, is that in Mike Sandristill and Will Johnson, Michigan may not just have the best corners in the country and cover corners in the country, but from the standpoint of ball hawking skills, uh, ball skills, they are like receivers out there, and of course, Sandra still was. Uh, 
you know, Joel Klatt thought that Marvin Harrison Jr. on that first interception should have come back to the football, should have not allowed Johnson to undercut him. Uh, I don't know. I think only Ryan Day, Harrison, and McCord know what truly should have happened on that play. Regardless, Michigan made the play. Did I think, uh-oh, right there? Yes, I did, because I I thought that this game might be more in the high teens and low 20s, and when you give up a seven, mm-hmm. that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Ryan Day, in the at the end of the first half, even taking it before the point that you did, your punter, of course, <laughs> hit one of his cue shots inside the five-yard line. Uh, Tommy Doman took Ohio State down to the one or two, and I thought, Okay, there's still three minutes left in this half. Ryan Day, do not try to run on this defense. He went off tackle two plays in a row, and he put Kyle McCord in a bad spot. You're not gaining yardage against Michigan, in especially in that situation backed up against your own goal line, running the ball off tackle. And McCord basically bailed him out, or more accurately, Julian Fleming bailed out uh, Ryan Day on a third and ten that really – Because I'm thinking, okay, you're down four. You're going to be punting from your own end zone. Michigan sets up at the 35 or 40-yard line. That's trouble. So they get the big plays. They've got the momentum. They're going downfield. Yes, fourth and two. And in addition to not trusting the offense, not trusting McCord, and no, they wouldn't have been able to run the ball for a first down on fourth and two. It's also the thought of you've got a kicker who has never kicked a ball this far in his life. He has never made a field goal. Uh, within five yards of what you're asking him to do on a 31-degree day at the big house. Yes, it's not an end-of-game pressure, but it's still higher pressure than what he's accustomed to. Mm-hmm. I just thought he coached scared in spots, and that was the most obvious one. Let's talk about the ramifications of this game. And I, I think on the on the Michigan side of things, I, I think it's pretty clear how a, a loss would have played out. Um, but I think that's why I think this is it's the most important win, I think, even more important than 2021 at this point than, than, than th- that Michigan has had over Ohio State in my lifetime. And um, I, I think you'd have to go back to 69. At the very least, I think it's on par with 21, and here's why. You have this program really humming right now, and it's, it's a machine right now. And there's there's been a lot of with with all the, the suspensions and investigations and allegations and everything else and you're going to have three jobs in the NFL open this year that all are coveted by Jim Harbaugh that he has direct ties to those franchises the Bears the Raiders and the Chargers for example uh you had Adam Schefter saying he could see 7 to 10 coaching vacancies in the NFL and yeah they're not hiring 60 year old guys nowadays they everybody wants to hire the next Sean McVay but, dude, there's only so many of those guys, and there's 10 openings. Got to think maybe the odds are getting higher that at least one of them would call. You're not sure where that's going to go. Um, if, if Michigan loses this game, you know, you might be looking at a situation where you've got to go out and find a new coach from outside the program, and that's always a roll of the dice. I mean, for every time that you, it works and you find your guy, you know, you can Nebraska yourself or do what Michigan did to itself the last time. This win provides stability for Michigan. The, the next coach is on the staff. And, and, it's, so it's, and his name's either Jim Harbaugh or Sharon Moore. And either way, the bulk of that infrastructure that is in place there will now get to remain. And, and I think that, that's, that's, that's massive 
for the program moving forward. And I think I think a loss and would have been a very interesting month leading up to an Orange Bowl that, frankly, nobody cares about on you know New Year's Eve. Well, now Ohio State, so I think Michigan's immediate future is pretty much secure at this point. The names may be, we, we may not know the names that will secure it, but the circumstances, I think, are. I think Ohio State now, the question is, I listened to Joshua Perry, who, of course, played for Urban Meyer, and I listened to what he said on Sirius XM the other day. He was very clearly disgusted with, uh, you know, some of the pregame rituals going on and the lack of physicality and the lack of uh, focus, maybe even obsession with Michigan that he was accustomed to. Um, you had Maurice Claret coming out saying that uh, he, essentially the Ohio State coach has one job. It's to beat Michigan. The other nine games, there's a lot of coaches that could go out there and win those games with Ohio State's players. And he thought there should be a coaching change. A lot of media has come to Ryan Day's defense preemptively, including people like Joe Klatt, to kind of try to head this thing off. A new AD is coming at Ohio State, of course. Um, what, what, what does this mean on the meta level for the Ohio State program? Well, it's not good, but it's not good based on really much of what they've done. It's more about Michigan. And when you sized up the rivalry and the ebb and flow of this rivalry over the course of the time that we've both watched it, I'll go back a few years before I started watching it. And it hasn't been what it is currently in the last three years as mega top five national championship contenders since Woody and Bo in the early to mid 70s. And so Ohio State has not fallen for Michigan to catch up. Uh, They have stayed right where they are. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have all due respect and have trumpeted Urban Meyer's 7-0 record against Michigan, but he did not face this Michigan. Now, his postseason record, his national championships also speak to what he could do in big games and in building programs that uh, would would stay uh, with the elite on a consistent basis. So... Urban Meyer still much better legacy than Ryan Day, even outside of this game. But Ryan Day has defeated Big Ten teams 40 consecutive times outside of this game. This last game, as you mentioned, it's on the road for Ohio State. It's a very competitive game. There's a decided advantage at quarterback in Michigan's camp. Ohio State is going to bring in a top three class in two and a half weeks. Michigan's going to bring in a top 12 or 15 class. Uh, Michigan's done a better job in the transfer portal. Maybe Ohio State needs to go more in that route. They basically had one impact starting player as a transfer, and Michigan has supplemented its offensive line play. They, of course, had the best center in college football a year ago. We could go on and on throughout the roster on both sides of the ball from Michigan because they have closed the recruiting gap through the transfer portal. Ryan Day is not coaching this game well. He is coaching this program well, and I understand the magnitude of this game. Believe me, as much as anybody, I understand the magnitude of this game. And if you were talking to the 15, 20, 25, 30-year-old Mark Rogers, I would tell you to fire Ryan Day. (laughs) But who do you get to replace him, number one? Number two, you also can't you can't make a rash emotional decision based on being mad about losing to Michigan. Even though that's the standard, we are going into a new era in 2024. And for as much as we wouldn't like it as Ohio State fans, let's say Ohio State and Michigan split 
10-year periods going forward. Ohio State wants more than that, and now Michigan, and now that they've tasted success, and I'm basing this on my interaction with Michigan fans who a couple years ago just wanted to be at Ohio State once every five years, uh, but I'm sure now want to win all the time, that that's going to be good enough uh, to get into the playoffs, win in the playoffs. This is a program that, other than 2011, the interim coach year, would make a 12-team playoff every season since 2004. So just the risk of going with another head coach. Uh, I'm not talking about risk like you're going to capsize at Ohio State. You're not, uh, as long as you make a capable hire. But we are talking about one of the top three or four programs in the country, and you know what you have now. It's all working except coaching and preparing for this game. Do you think there's a chance? You know, I just mentioned all the NFL openings. Ryan Day actually fits the profile of what is getting hired in the NFL right now, not Jim Harbaugh. Okay. And I mean, one of the things that matters greatly in the NFL nowadays is um, a, a complicated and expansive passing game. It's a passing league now. And I mean, I, I can't even sit here and tell you, I, like, I think it's at least 50 50 that JJ McCarthy is going to be back. I mean, he, he's not a first round quarterback right now, he's, he's thrown one touchdown pass in four weeks. Now, if, if they win the national championship, he will and should go at that point. And so I think the math will change. I, I'm kind of chuckling. It kind of reminds me after 21 when uh, all the Buckeye forums said we had 75 COVID seniors. I don't think people understand a lot of the guys that just beat you are coming back again next year. But we'll get to that in the offseason again. Because that's what Michigan— You're Michi- just chuckling all the time regardless now, Steve. What's that? <laughs> You're just chuckling all the time regardless. Well, that's, that's what Michigan is doing with its NIL. Some programs are paying up front for top-end high school talent. Michigan is paying on the back end for grown-ass men and kind of zigging while everybody else is zagging. But, but you know, Michigan's off the play, passing game is not a complicated NFL scheme of spreading the ball around and explosive plays like what the NFL is looking for. Um, and you didn't get that kind of year out of J.J. McCarthy this year. It started off thinking like it might be that, and then it kind of tailed off. Uh, that's what Ryan Day does. I mean, you look at you look at teams like well Chicago, where his old quarterback is Justin Fields, just won a game last night. They've got they might have the top two picks in the draft. They'll have two of the top five picks in the draft probably, um, maybe the number one pick. Uh, you look at somebody like a Arizona might have the, might have a, a, a top pick, and they've got a quarterback that fits a Ryan Day system and Kyler Murray already there. You look at somebody like a Chargers, who has all the offensive talent in the world. They just need a, a better coach than, than what they have right now with, uh, with Staley. I mean, what if there's a retirement? What if an Andy Reid wins another Super Bowl, walks off into the sunset, and you can coach Pat Mahomes? Is there any concern at all y'all wake up one day in late January, early February, and he's like, peace out. I'm heading to the, I'm heading to the league. Yeah, your prediction, uh, whatever you call those, your off-season. Crystal ball, yeah. Yes, your crystal ball, yes. Uh, could come true a year or two later. If I'm Ryan Day and I have to shun my allegiance, my loyalty, my fandom, I bleed scarlet and gray. He doesn't. Uh, he's looking at a career, a family, a location, all of those things. And when everything rides on one game. This is unlike, I know Alabama-Auburn is serious and all these other 
uh, rivalries, but he he basically he can't do anything to correct this, and therefore can't do anything right uh, to a large degree in most people's eyes until they play next year. Uh, he could have a number one recruiting class. They could pull in gems in the transfer portal. He can just breeze through a schedule that includes typical Big Ten teams plus Washington and Oregon. Uh, those will not be big wins. They'll be taken for granted, and they shouldn't be, but he can't do anything right. Would I want to coach under those circumstances? I would not, and he shows signs prior to this loss. He showed signs of not, like if you read between the lines, he makes the comment every few weeks at a news conference, I know I've got to win every game here. I don't know that everybody's built for that. I think very few are built for that kind of scrutiny. Hmm. Let's look ahead to the Big Ten championship game. What do you think happens? I think the safe projection is something in between an Iowa victory of them doing what they do against the Big Ten West and what we saw two years ago that the Iowa defense plays extremely well, that Kirk Ferentz, knowing uh, that his backup quarterback, Deacon Hill, is, is prone to make mistakes, which they cannot have, is going to coach and play call him out of that as much as possible. Uh, I think they will, they will come in with a typical conservative Iowa game plan, but when they throw some wrinkles at Michigan, they're going to be like they did. They tried the uh, some kind of a wide receiver or halfback pass in the first drive or two uh, two years ago, something Ryan Day should have thought of in regards to not necessarily that, but I didn't see any wrinkles uh, in the Ohio State attack against Michigan. Uh, you know, Cooper DeGene would have been fun to have watched uh, because he is just, he's like the Jim Thorpe kind of athlete where he mm -hmm. can do everything. He's the gunner. He's the, the returner, of course, and, and it would have been even more fascinating had the officials made a different call, and this is an 11-1 Iowa team, of course, that the College Football Playoff Committee would hate to have to do anything with. <laughs> uh, they would just, yes. Uh, so the, it is just very difficult to find a path for Iowa because their capabilities, first, their desire to do anything different or feeling the need to do anything different, but also just their ability to play a different ball. They just don't have the outside capabilities. Uh, they don't even have their tight ends. Now, the guys that are playing third and fourth string, like Adam Estrenga and others, are playing extremely well. They're playing like Iowa tight ends, but they, they do miss the two top guys. Uh, it's an exceptional defense. They are just going to, I guess it's going to be J.J. McCarthy versus Bowling Green and Iowa doing what Iowa does best. Uh, other than that, they have shown th some offensive spark. They put up over 400 yards against a capable Rutgers defense a few weeks ago. And what I saw in that game and in the last few games, even when it didn't seem wise, they confounded me with actually pushing and driving the ball downfield on the final drive of the first half with little time left. They played very unlike Iowa football uh, driving the ball downfield with like a 3 nothing lead at the end of the first half in a few of those games. Uh, so maybe they, they were trying to prepare for what was to come in Indianapolis. I just think the problem Iowa has, it, it's just hard when, when you're playing a team that is clearly more talented than you 
and you're going to play the exact same style. Like Iowa is going to be like, well, we're going to, we want to make this thing a grinder. We want to make this thing a mosh pit. Win at the line of scrimmage, and Michigan's like, I bet. I mean, that's what we do. You know, I mean, that was that's where I think the, the going back to Michigan, Ohio State last year, Michigan winning it on big plays. That's not the way Michigan wants to win a game. You know, Michigan's actually more comfortable playing the way Jim Knowles made them play this year. Okay, that that's that's what they're made for. They're built to play that way, um, and that's that's the kind of game that Iowa wants to play. Um, and, 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 you know, if you're a believer that styles makes fights, and I think most of the time it does, not always, cause we're dealing with human beings here, but, um, the reality is Iowa wants to play this game the same way Michigan wants to play this game. It's just Michigan's going to do it with a different level of recruit than what Iowa has. And I think that's what makes it hard when, when there's not a real contrast, even if their tight ends were healthy. I mean, well, one of them was a guy who used to play at Michigan, you know, Michigan's entire passing game last week against Ohio state was they had you know was seven of their eight seven of eight completions for over 100 yards to the tight ends you know so i mean it's a it's a very similar style to what iowa wants to play and it's and we ran into it they ran into it when they played us two years ago and then we ran into it in the playoff where we would played against a georgia team that had a different level of recruit and wanted to play the exact same way we, we wanted to play and they were like okay cool you know i mean it's just it's hard to overcome the talent advantage in, in basketball, when you guys play the same tempo, and in football, when you guys play the same style, that's where it's really harder to overcome the talent advantage. Yeah, uh, they have built a program that is approach is toward the Big Ten West, and then they'll take their risk, they'll take their shot and figure it out when they advance past that. But they have been hyper-focused on, we want to be, plus there's got to be some level of thought I'm sure for decades that this is the type of athlete we recruit. We're a developmental program. And um, I just think maybe it's also Kirk Ferentz uh, having some Nick Saban in him, but refusing to change. So wanting the past to be what football is today, but refusing to change, plus also probably believing that it's not the best route to go. Uh, But then they run up against Michigan, and Michigan is just – as good or better at every position, every positional unit. And like you say, wants to play the same way, but has the explosiveness in them to, you know, I just feel like this is going to be one of these fairly close games for about a quarter and a half. And the dam's going to burst at some point. Uh, Michigan's just, and they're a better, they're a much better version of what they were two years ago, in my opinion, when they won by 39. Good stuff, my friend. Thank you. As always, appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. 
It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at hashtagrenew.com. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, which win was your favorite? 44% of you said Ohio State 2023. 40% of you said Ohio State 2021. 16% of you said Ohio State 2022. How can you choose? It's like choosing amongst your own children. But I guess I'd go Ohio State 2021 if you put a gun to my head simply because that was the first. But all my heart has done is expand all the more the last two years with the other two. Let's get to our feedback of the week. Oh, sorry. Okay. From Football Scout 365, he is predicting that Michigan slides into the top spot of the college football playoff rankings. If you're a Michigan fan, that's what you want. Do whatever it takes to avoid Oregon. I don't know if Florida State can survive the ACC title game without Jordan Travis, but that's the matchup you want. Going to be an interesting championship Saturday. Agreed, but let me just say this about that. Last year, we got exactly what we wanted. We got TCU as the three seed. That's exactly what we wanted, and we lost. If if there's anything tournament play has taught us over the years when it comes to college basketball, for example, it's be careful what you wish for. Are there some teams that are better matchups for Michigan than others and vice versa? Of course. But in the end, at this level, it's much more about how you play, not the other team. Michigan lost last year for no other reason other than, sure, a bad officiating call on the Roman Wilson touchdown. <clears throat> they had the, op- the opening drive where they went for it, tried the Philly special, didn't score. But the real reason that Michigan lost that game is J.J. McCarthy threw two pick sixes. Something I'd done all year long. Take those two pick sixes off the table. Those two mistakes, that's 12 points. You lost the game by six. You win the game. Despite all that, all the mistakes, how bad your defense played. See, at this, when, you're, when, the, when you get to this level, I think it's much more about what you do. And, and I'd be a little less concerned about, yeah, we want that or that's favorable. Be careful what you wish for. You don't, you've got a team like a TCU or maybe in your scenario, a Florida State, who for a month gets told you suck, you can't win, you don't belong. That team comes in with the chip on its shoulder. You do you. You worry about you when it gets to this point of the year. I think we learned that lesson the hard way last year against TCU. Nevertheless, I agree. I'd rather play Florida State over Oregon, but, you know, that's why they play the games. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Hopefully we return next week to a third straight undisputed Big Ten championship. We shall see. Uh, Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share, follow, whether you're watching right here on YouTube or listening on iTunes or elsewhere. Help us to find more Michigan fans just like you. We would really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you who are doing those things. Please keep doing them. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter in between episodes as well, at Michigan Podcast there. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue. 